please. As you know, we're, if you don't know, we're going through the book of John, and so we're looking at the gospel of John, we're looking at the life of Jesus, um, and um, to be more like him, not just to solely have more cognitive knowledge of him, not a bad thing, but to then uh, interact with that knowledge and uh, do the things that he's calling us to do. And so the prayer that we're praying um, every uh, week is coming to us out of Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 10 and 11, uh, and, it, and it says this, we're going to pray this together. There we go. All right, awesome. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. You can be seated. And so this last week we talked about the wedding of Canaan, we talked about Jesus turning over the tables at the temple, um, and this week we'll just continue on with the very last portion of chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 23, and we'll go um, through chapter 3, um, verse 21. And so it says this uh, in chapter 2, verse 23, because the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what each person's heart, or was in each person's heart. It goes on here and begins in chapter uh, 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, one who was, or who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can a man, an old man, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must go or you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going so you can explain how people are born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus asked this question, how are these things possible? And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you, or I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly Believe if I tell you about heavenly things. No one has ever been to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And we all know this next one. It says this 
For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that the others can see that they are doing what God wants. The word of God. And as we approach this passage, and as I approach to teach this passage, I just, you know, approach with this idea of the depth of Jesus' understanding. Uh, And it far outweighs any teacher of any time, anywhere. And and why does the depth of Jesus' understanding far outweigh any teacher of any time, anywhere, is because he is the source of truth. Truth is found in Jesus. Jesus is truth. And being the source of truth, his understanding is great. His understanding, if I'd say, is this, is complete. And so, and we see this as an example in the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, we see Jesus as a young boy sitting amongst the higher educated Pharisees in the temple, asking questions and amazing them at his understanding. Or they're amazed at his understanding, excuse me. And so as I I know I read a lot there, and I encourage you to go back and and read that stuff again that I just read on your own, Uh, maybe this week or this afternoon at some point. But there's a few things that we can take away from the passage that I just read. Uh, the first thing that I, that I notice and take away is, is that those verses 23 through 25, where he says, you know, but he didn't trust them, or he didn't believe in them, and not, he doesn't trust people uh, because he knew what was going on in their hearts, in everyone's heart. See, Jesus recognizes the frailty of humanity. Uh, after all, he created everything. And he's seen the historical happenings of the human race. And this particular passage really has to do with Jesus as a man knowing who he was. There's a term uh, called differentiation, right? And to be a differentiated person differentiated person means that I know who I am. Uh, I don't have to be a chameleon. I don't have to go to one setting and act one way and go to another setting and act another way. I am who I am. Jesus would say that, and that was a very powerful statement. And so he's this. He's a man who knows who he is. He knows what his mission is. And because he 
knows what he is. He knows what his mission is. He does not desire or need fanfare. And so he doesn't, in other words, he doesn't need the approval of the people around them. He didn't put his trust in people because his trust was put fully in God. Dave Baker, my dad, a couple weeks ago spoke on uh, who John was and that the fact that he knew who he was. John knew that he would come and that he would offend people. That was something he knew. All right, he rolled up, throwing the locusts, eating them, and camel's hair. He's saying these things that are provocative things, all right, uh, but, but he knew that God had called him to this, and he was doing what God had called him to do. And then here is Jesus doing what God has called him to do. Jesus is the most differentiated person, human being, who has ever lived. This deep knowing of who he was gave him the ability to stay on mission. Even in the darkest nights of his soul, he knew who he was. And so whether people were for him or people were against him, Jesus knew who he was. And we go a bit further down in the passage and we see Nicodemus, this great teacher, the teacher among teachers. And so, and how do we know this? Well, Nicodemus has followers, he has disciples, he has people that are calling him rabbi. And so he, he's this great teacher. We notice that he comes to Jesus. He recognizes and says, we know that you're from God. We've seen the things that you say, the things that you do. And so I'm coming to you in night, in the night. I'm coming under the cover of night. And why is this? Well, there's a couple of reasons one very obvious reason is he doesn't want to be seen with this teacher, this teacher who's causing some problems, all right? I don't know if it was a week before, a night before, a month before that he, you know, he was at the temple tossing things over, all right? And so he comes in the cover of night, and John, the gospel writer, uh, who is a great writer, if you've read all of John, you know that it's just a great, uh, not only... Uh, it's just a great literary piece as well. And so what is John saying here? Because he's telling a story. Nicodemus is coming in the darkness because that is where he's coming from. The darkness. It hasn't been fully revealed to him, but he's coming because something in him has been deeply impacted by what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. He, he's coming, he's drawn to the light. And so he's coming out of darkness into the light. He's drawn because of what he's witnessed. He's seen Jesus and something is resonating deep within his soul at the deepest parts of who he is. He is risking a lot to come and meet with Jesus. And so he comes and he meets. He asks the deep questions and he gets these answers that are quite funny, quite curious, you know? Now you must be born again. Hold up, what do you mean? How's that gonna work? 
What are you saying here? And so what Jesus invites him into is this loving, mystical relationship. And I just want to pause there. Mystical is not spooky weird. Mystical means this. It's, it's transcending human relationship. He's inviting him in to a divine relationship with God. A loving, divine relationship that will allow him this, the entrance into the kingdom of God. The entrance into life. And here's Jesus, brilliant teacher that he is. He's talking to a Pharisee. So what does he do? He relates to the Pharisee and he says, hey, um, you know, Moses and the bronze snake. And, and, and Nicodemus would know this passage by heart, right? Uh, he would have this memorized. And so, you know, and if you want to, you can look at that in Numbers 21. We're not gonna look at that whole thing, but Numbers 21, four and nine, four through nine, look at that. Look what Moses did. I'm gonna tell you briefly, he made this, God told him to make this snake and, and what had happened was there was a bunch of disobedience and poisonous snakes came out and they were, they were biting people and these people were on the verge of death. Make this snake of bronze, lift it up, all who look at this will be healed, okay? And so Jesus appeals to Nicodemus through the Jewish story of Moses and the bronze snake. He says, look, uh, all who look upon me, who believe in me, will find eternal life. See, because I'm gonna have to be lifted up too. And God did through Moses to save that numbered people uh, God will do through me to save all who believe in me. And then that leads us to this passage. Maybe you've heard it if you've been breathing for many years. Maybe you were alive in the 90s and 2000s and at every sporting event, there's one person with the poster board, John 3.16, all right? We've all seen it, you know? Maybe we've just seen that and we're like, where's the rest of his telephone number? Like, who, there's only three, okay? Maybe we didn't know, why did they put the semicolon there? We don't know, okay? Maybe you didn't know, all right? But it's, a, it's referring to this verse in the Bible, and, you know, whatever, however you memorized it growing up, or maybe you don't know it, is in the New Living Translation, it just says, for this is how God loved the world. Uh, some of you memorized it as, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And so the New Living Translation says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not, have, will not perish but have eternal life. And I just wanna stop here for a moment because I think this is so important to understand is this. The work of Christ, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ is God's work. 
Why do I say that? Because I believe that if we don't understand that it's God's work, we don't understand the Trinity then. Because to understand this statement and know that this is God's work, that that first part, therefore, God so loved the world, all right, or for this is how God loved the world, we have to understand this foundationally to understand the inner workings of the Trinity, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what sometimes has been presented is this, that, that Jesus died on the cross to appease this angry, mad God. And what we do is this. Well, there's this bloodthirsty, angry God who like, had Thor's hammer and was ready to come down, and he was going to destroy everything. But here's the problem with this, is that it, it puts God and Jesus, like Jesus is for us and God was against us. And that's just not the truth. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world. And, and so in turn, if we, if we have this angry God in mind, and, and so we divide the Trinity then, and, and then even worse beyond that, we might put the Father against the Son. We might say that Jesus is good and God is not. And this simply can't be because God loved the world. This notion of God being against us and Christ being for us is just simply false. God, who is Father, who is Son, who is Holy Spirit, is for us. And Jesus comes to make a way to God. Make the way. Let me rephrase that because I want that to be heard. Makes the way to the Father. I misspoke there. It's not a way. <laughs> All right? He makes the way to the Father. And so Jesus is God, it, whoa, gold, is God incarnate. Jesus is God incarnate. What does that mean? Jesus came to earth fully man, fully God, here he is. What's the fancy term for that? Hypostatic union? Yeah. You guys take that. That's a $5 word right there. Um, but it, there's this tension he lives in, right? I mean, he's fully God and he's fully man and he's here and he's incarnate. He's among us. It's God's work that he's doing. It's the Father's will that he is doing the things that he's doing. He's hearing what the Father is saying. He's doing those things. He's hearing what the Father is saying, so he's saying those things. It's God's work. And here's what I want to relieve all of us this morning, is that God is for you. Therefore, Christ is for you. Therefore, Holy Spirit is for you, and God is for you. God is not, quote, upstairs, Thor hammer in hand, ready to smash you. God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only son. And so I believe this, that we all stand on the precipice of a moment where we can look out and see. And I I believe we do this daily, actually. Minutely, that's a word. But we look out and we see this land in front of us and the land in front of us is called being in Christ, following Christ, being apprenticed to Christ. And we can have this view of a precipice and a precipice is just, it means it's defined as a steep slope right? A cliff face, if you will, but we stand out and we, and we look out there and we say, man, if I could just follow him. And here's what, just like Jesus to Nicodemus was this, he was asking him to take the next step. What does that next step look like? The land that we're looking out to is, is full of risk. I have to leave things behind that I want to carry with me, but I know that I can't. I have to be vulnerable, not only before God, but to the people that are around me. But it's also, and those aren't negative things. Risk is not a negative thing. Vulnerability is not a negative thing. In those things, when we place ourselves, when we take the risk of following Jesus, when we open ourselves up to Jesus and become vulnerable to him, what we see is that we also have a life then that is full of actual life and hope. And our next step is this. I want to relieve you. It's not to jump. Our next step is just to take the next step forward towards Jesus. And then after that, well, after that, I get one step in, and then I can jump, right? And I would just encourage you, just take the next step forward to Jesus. And when you feel like jumping out and do it, just take the next step forward to Jesus. And just keep doing that over and over and over again. And along the way, what you'll find is this, that There's ideas and there's things that we've held as idols that that we simply want to, as we know Jesus more, we want to lay them down. Sometimes we resist laying them down because the lack of vulnerability that we have before the King of Kings. And so we try to hold on to these things. We might have friends that try to speak into our lives where we lack the vulnerability to lay things down. And so I believe that God is calling us to lay things down. Like Nicodemus, we may have to count the cost of following Jesus. And there is a cost of following Jesus. And what is that cost? That cost is everything. And is it worth it to enter into a land that is full of life and full of hope, where I can live full of, I can risk everything, I can be completely naked before God, and I can be okay because he knows me and he loves me. And so we leave things behind as we enter into the kingdom of God, as we become apprentices to Jesus. And sure, we look at the person that's next to us maybe this morning, or maybe we go home and we're like, man, I wish you'd leave that stuff behind. But I almost guarantee they could say to you, I wish you'd leave this behind too. 
And so there's things in our lives, and, and what I'm finding out more and more every day is this, that, that Jesus loves me, this I know. And he loves me where I am, and he's inviting me to follow him. Jesus meets you and I where we are. He doesn't meet us and say, hey, I'm down the road here a little bit. But Jesus does something that is amazing. Instead of just like calling us from way far away, he calls us right beside him and he says, I'll walk with you. And what I found is this, that even though there are transformations, and maybe you guys have been through something like this where there's things that you have to deal with and need to deal with, and then like you mess up again on the same thing, and we think, well, Jesus is now further away than he was, and he's right here beside us, and he's here to pick us up. It doesn't mean that he's a fan of what you're doing wrong. <laughs> it means that he's right beside you to pick you up. And I know that in my, my own life that when I fall, that Jesus is there to pick me up. And so what is our next step forward? Our next step to follow Christ is we get to live in the kingdom of God. We get to live eternal life, and it begins now. And that was the same relationship that Jesus was offering to Nicodemus. We come to Jesus often in the night, often maybe out of a dark night of the soul. Out of the darkest place maybe we've been. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And then take the next step forward and come and follow me. And then tomorrow when you wake up, and maybe you don't even feel like getting out of bed, take the next step forward and follow me. Trust me with all of who you are, and I will meet you where you are. And what does it mean then for us to be Jesus to other people? It means to meet people where they are. Well, they disagree with me about this political issue. I can't even deal with them. If you're not being like Jesus, I'm going to be real honest with you. You know, I mean, have we had, I, I can't recall over the last year or two, have there been any issues like that? I can't think, that only happened back in the 70s, right? There was nothing of, right, there's, there's friction. Does anybody feel this anxiety around you? Yeah, we do. So what do we do with that? Well, I'm going to pocket into what I believe, and if you don't believe that, well, forget you. Or I'm going to meet you where you are. I mean, guys, Jesus looked at his disciples. Look at the group that he called. At times, they don't even get along with one another. But he's meeting them where they are. And so I just want to encourage you. Rick, you want to come up? Come to Jesus. Why? Because he's calling you. How do I come to Jesus, Andy? Real simple. It's come to Jesus. 
It might be in a truck ride somewhere. It might be in a bedroom. It might be out in Walmart. But you say, God, would you, I want to meet you. Would you come and meet me where I am, Jesus? I want to, I want to recognize you, that, that you are in control of everything. I don't understand it all, but I know that you are in control of everything. Would you come and be the Lord of my life? And Jesus will accept that invitation because, in fact, he already is the Lord of your life. The difference is when we submit to him or if we don't submit to him. Why don't we look upon God? You know, are you weary and troubled? Are you broken and in need of repair? Are you angry and fearful? Is there broken relationships in your life? Do you have a broken heart? Maybe you feel like everything is fine in life, but there is this thing like, who is Jesus? And Jesus compels me every time I hear people talk about Jesus and the impact he's had in their lives. It compels me to think, who is this man? And the invitation is this, come to King Jesus, and he will meet you where you are. We're going to sing this simple song again. 